Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, where I sit down with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, some of whom you will have heard of, some you won't, but all of whom have got really interesting life stories and have been so kind and generous to share them with us. And that's something that's really struck me, actually. I've had so many lovely moments where just talking and sharing has been so helpful um, not just to me, not just to my guests, but to you as listeners as well. You know, whether that's Kirsty Gallagher talking about her divorce, whether that's Dottie Weir talking about coping with motor neurone disease, whether that is Gabby Logan talking about the tragedy of losing her brother. You know, these are really difficult subjects that we've covered off amongst some light-hearted moments and I'm just really grateful actually without being too soppy and deep and emotional <laughs> I've just loved it so really big thank you to all my guests so far hopefully there's going to be plenty more of the same on the way now I can tell you that we've got bite-sized versions of all the podcasts I've done so far becoming available. So it's quite good because you may not have an hour to dedicate to listen to somebody, but you might have 20 minutes and that gives you the opportunity just to hear kind of the best bits, if you like. It's really important that you rate, review and subscribe. That's so good for In The Pink. So please do. Thank you very much. Okay, next up. A man who boxing fans love to hate. But I'm going to make a prediction, quite a big prediction. After listening to this, they might just change their minds. Because Eddie Hearn is so open, honest, passionate, and with a really impressive work ethic, a determination, in fact, to excel in all that he does. It's really endearing. It's difficult not to like him when you've listened to this chat because he says, look, this is who I am. I'm not pretending to be anything else. But actually, I'm a pretty good bloke. He didn't say that. I did. Because <laughs> if he'd said that, you'd have probably thought, nah. Anyway, I'll stop waffling. I will let you listen to this fascinating insight into the world of boxing. For example, do you know how bouts are negotiated? Well, you will after this podcast. And... Eddie gives me a previously unheard account 
of Anthony Joshua and some lovely anecdotes about him which will make you love AJ even more. So sit back, relax and enjoy In the Pink with Eddie Hearn. Here we are, Eddie, in the rolling Essex countryside. It's gorgeous here. This used to be your home, didn't it? It's now your office with Matchroom. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird, really, living or working in a place that you used to live in because every room in here now is another department. And obviously, to me, it was the lounge or the dining room. <laughs> um, but it's been a really sort of positive building and environment for my family over so long and actually since we've had our head office here the company has grown and grown and grown and grown so we're sort of continuing in that happy place and which we wanted to try and create somewhere where people enjoyed working as well so we have a gym and a pool you see the grounds are nice in the summer people sit outside and have have lunch because I think you really need to be motivated in your workplace Mm. obviously you know, one of the reasons people go to work is to make money and to survive. But if you're motivated in what you do, if you have a passion for it, you're going to work a lot harder and you're going to enjoy what you do. And ultimately, that should lead to a, a better work environment and people doing their jobs better. And we've got a very, very young business here. We never really recruit at a senior level. Everybody who gets that senior level has really come from probably like the ages of 15 and 16 and... Yeah, that's always been the ethos of the business, sort of bring people through and give them chances. So we're sitting in your old drawing room, living room area. Uh, What I want to know is what it was like growing up in the Hearn family, because I think the dynamic with your dad is a fascinating one that we'll talk more about later on. But was it a happy childhood? Was it a busy childhood? Was your dad always at work or did you spend a lot of time together? Yeah, he was always at work. Um, I mean, my dad is from Dagenham, uh, son of a bus driver my mum is from east london um her dad worked for fords he was he was an engineer there and proper east end family really um when i was born my dad was playing snooker they called romford snooker club and said your wife's gone into labour. But he was, said he was in the middle of a best of three with a guy <laughs> called Crunchy Warren. He always tells me a story. He said, I just couldn't leave. So I couldn't leave. You know, it was it was one all and it was for 50 quid. But this is like genuinely, like, but that's like the old school mentality that was almost accepted no. by He didn't miss your birth. He did. Yeah, Come he on. did. No, he did. He was playing snooker. He oh got there like, God but when so. he got there, I was born, right? So, but that was like the old school way was yeah. that wasn't really a big deal. You know, like the women had the babies. Yeah. That was their mentality. Don't I ain't get what am I gonna do? Just let me know when it's here, kind of thing, you know? And now like the men are almost having the babies <laughs> with the women. So um growing up, he was extremely hard worker. I mean, he was a chartered accountant at an early age, the youngest ever qualified chartered accountant. And then sort of ended up finding himself managing Steve Davis. Um and then you know, being responsible for managing him, the explosion of, of snooker in the 80s, then got into boxing, but was always away, like always travelling, similar to how I am now. Mm. And, you know, I, I really got my time around him by travelling with him or going to the events, going to the fights, you know, that kind of stuff. And there's loads of pictures of me growing up in his office, which is actually just in there, mm. where I would just be like laying on the floor, like with a football or a cricket ball, just like throwing it in the air, just 
being in the same room as him because he would be on the phone all night. So just anything to be around him. And I guess yeah. that you know, one of the reasons that I've ended up doing doing well is because I was kind of programmed by being in that environment to do the job that I'm doing. Like, you know, people say, God, you sound so much like your dad. You know, when you talk, if you watch footage of him promoting shows when he was in his 40s, like, we, you can't even n- notice the difference in the voice, you know? And it's just, just being around him and just being in that environment. And, you know, um, but that was my way to spend time with him. If he was home, he was always working. He was always on the phone. But he was also, he would always put the time in with me. You know, I played cricket for Essex from like under 11s to under 18s. We'd be in the garden for hours, you know, be bowling at me, bowling at me, bowling at me. So he was, you know, he was a, he's a very good dad in that he wanted to succeed for himself and for his family, but also would put the time in, you know, to, to make sure that uh, you know, we could do the things we wanted to do, which really, to be honest, was play sport. That was, that was what we loved to do. Because it would have been quite easy for you to stay in his shadow. But somehow, in the last few years particularly, you've really managed to carve your own way. Um, but I'm sure always under the watchful eye of Barry, of your dad. But was that, was that um, a determination on your part or is it something he wanted you to do? And how did that come about? When did you first realise that actually you could make it almost on your own, although obviously it was still within the stable of, of what your dad's been doing all his yeah, life. I think sort of growing up, anything, you know, being, having a successful father, obviously I, I was lucky enough to grow up, you know, in a nice house, um, nice holidays, all that kind of stuff. But he managed to always keep that sort of, almost like East End working class mentality in me, which I think he was petrified of me being that rich, spoiled kid, because I think, they were the kids when he was growing up that he just could not stand. Mm. You know, the kid at school, the posh kid with a nice house. You know, he would come from, uh, you know, a council flat in Dagenham and he would probably look at those kids and think, oh, I hate you. And he, he was probably petrified of me being like that. Growing up, it was always like Barry Hearn's son. That's Barry Hearn's son. You know, I'd remember going to restaurants or whatever and I, I get it now and people would like stare. Oh, it's Barry Hearn over there. You know, it's Barry Hearn over there. Yeah. And I used to think, probably at times I thought it was quite cool, really. But growing up, you know, if I was in the Essex cricket team, if I was, I was because Barry and sons like that, you know, he's like, you know, or when I was boxing for Bitter Ricky, you know, he's that's Barry and son over there. So like, you know, he's there because so it, I, I guess you don't really think that affects you at the time, mm. but it can work two ways. It can mm. give you the drive to succeed. Frank Lampard went to my school, mm. and I remember after school his dad would take him over to the football pitches and he would do, he would train him and he would be doing these sprints and shuttle runs like on his own. And I would think, well, and when he got into the West Ham team, everyone went, it's Frank Lampard's son. Like he wasn't even, he was good, but he wasn't as what he, what he ended up being. Mm. And everyone said he's in the team because of his dad. Mm. You know, and I have a lot of admiration for Frank Lampard because he went on to be one of the best Chelsea players ever. So, he was faced with the same challenges I was in a different world. Mm. And I guess it's that drive. I think what it ultimately comes down to is wanting to outperform them. Mm. You know, his dad, Frank's dad, was a very good footballer as well. I think that you don't sit there every day going, I want to be better than my dad. But you want to take it to another level because it's the only way you can be judged. Mm. If you don't outperform them, 
whatever you do will never really be respected because you've been given the head start in life, mm. you know. And yeah, you got the job because of your dad and like that. Cause, so you have to take it to another level. Mm. And that's probably the drive that I've had. Now the drive is more about the legacy of the business, the family business, because that you know there's not many things other than his family that my dad's prouder of than Matram, right? So it's up to me now mm. to take it to that next level. And we've done that over the last probably five or ten years where he's seen his little sort of business just explode into this incredibly successful not just financially but you know in terms of major sporting events international markets all that kind of stuff so now it's just like this crest of the wave that we're all riding but you know the the only downside is i will never get the feeling of making it from nothing do you know what i mean which i'm a bit jealous of a bit envious of because he looks at this company now and sits back and goes, I can't believe it. Like, literally, we started this company, like, in a broom cupboard in Romford. Look at it now. And I'm quite jealous of that, because I would have liked the opportunity to try and do that. Mm. But, you know, I look at it now and say, okay, well, when we started, it was here. Now it's here, Mm. which is great. But he's like, no, no, it's not just great. You don't understand. (laughs) Because I didn't have those years where he was probably about to go bankrupt one year, you know, firing people the next, probably couldn't pay the rent in the offices, and they're sometimes the fun times, you know. So I didn't you get that. You learn a lot about yourself when your back's against course. the wall, and, don't you? And, you yeah. know, I think to come through those times yeah. and be where he is, you know, he's, he's an incredible operator. And mm. I've never met anyone with so much energy. Like, he's 71 now. And just every morning, literally wakes up and just, like, claps his hands. And, you know, he'll come and pick me up if we're going to a meeting at six. And as soon as I literally open the door... Yo, morning, right, son, let's go. How are you feeling? I'm like, oh, Dad, please. And, or he'll phone me up at half ten at night. How was your day? Tell me what happened. What's going on? And it's like, but he's just, honestly, I don't know how he does it. And I think a lot of that is because he's, he's been, you know, he can't quite believe what's happened to his life. You know, where I was, I, I was brought up here. Yeah. Yeah, so this is almost like how it's supposed to be. But for him, every day seems like a dream. And I'm quite envious of that because that must be an amazing feeling. Have you ever argued with him? Oh, non-stop. Yeah, really? loads, loads. I mean, not so much Why, now. Because you're so similar. Yeah, I mean, not so much now because, like, with the boxing, he doesn't make one decision. But I'll ask him on quite a lot of stuff because he's great for advice. I mean, more knowledge of probably anyone in the sport so, and in business. Um, he doesn't get involved. He doesn't question a decision. He just lets me get on with it. Um, really growing up more than anything I think because like I said he always you know wanted to be wanted me to to make sure that I had that respect and and, you know those manners so you know it would be like I don't know he would make me clean his shoes like and he might give me I can't remember what it was like 10 or 20p a pair or something like that growing up just to I'd clean his car like little bits and pieces like he used to have a car cleaning company that would go around the posh houses in Chigwell when he was growing up washing all the cars on a Saturday and he almost wanted me to do the same. Mm. As far as he was concerned, that was what you had to do, mm. you know? Yeah. So he would sort of say, well, go and clean my car. And there's 10p, something like that. Go and clean my shoes and all that kind of stuff, which at the time was fine. But when you look back, you think he's just trying to program yeah, you yeah, to, to make yeah, sure that, yeah, you know, and arguing, yeah, arguments growing up, you know. Um, I, I was Jack the Lad and I was probably a, like very boisterous, but I would say that, Generally, I was like a decent kid, um, flash Harry, but 
sort of with a decent heart. Do you know what I mean? But I think that was really because of him. But every now and again, he'd give me a little clip around the ear and a slap if I sort of went out of line. But I never really got up to anything outrageous that as a kid. No, not yeah. really. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't the best at school. Actually, what happened to me was I was at Brentwood School, which is a private school, and I just I struggled with discipline. You know, oh, like I, I rebelled against it. You know, like. I don't know why, but I, just, I couldn't, and it sounds terrible now, but it's just pure honesty. I couldn't quite respect these teachers. Like, And now I would have, I would be all respect for the teachers. But back then I was just, I was always rebelling. And I got two Bs and five Cs in my GCSEs and then Ds and Es. But you needed to get eight GCSEs or something like that to go to the sixth form. But because I was so good at sport, they always used to keep you on, right? So my mum went up to school and, and dad and said, look, obviously he was one short, but he's in the first team for the cricket and the football. And, and they went, no. And they were like, what? And they wouldn't let me go to the sick form. So I was like, oh. And my mum was just in bits, like, where are we going to send you? I went, a few of my mates go to Havering College in Romford, which is like, sorry, Havering College, if you listen to this podcast, but not the best, right? And I went, I'll just go there. And she was like, oh, you can't go there. It's horrible and the people are horrible. <laughs> and she dropped me off. And she she tells me like now that she just sat there just crying because she saw me going in. And it was like, you know, such a different sort of everything from an ethnic background to the kind of person that went there. It was just compl- like, it was, it was like a state school in East London, you know. So I went in there and I was doing my A-levels there, business studies, media studies, PE. Um, which I actually was quite good at, fun enough. And then I remember in my business studies class, there was like 20 people in the class. And after about a week, there was about eight people. And everyone was downstairs, just like either smoking weed or like playing football up against the wall, just skiving off. And I said to the teacher, I said, not being funny, I said, like, if, if you don't go to this class, what happens? And they went, nothing, it's up to you, isn't it? It's like, I can't make you learn. If you don't want to learn... And that was like, because you couldn't get told. I, I just, I just got my nut down. I got an A and a B and a C or something like that, which I would have never got at Brentwood. But it was like just that thing where it's up to you. And it actually, yeah. I ended up in my lunch break just sitting in the library and studying because you weren't getting. It wasn't a thing. I don't know. It was a yeah, weird thing for maybe. a kid, like psychologically, for a kid yeah. to say, "Well, it's up to you, mate." You know. So because it was not, on your own terms now. It was. It and was then like, that's pretty much yeah. what you can say about your life and your career. It's yeah. been on your own terms. Yeah, you've got to want to do something yeah. yourself in anything. Like as a kid, you know, you can say to your children, do this or go to this football club or go to this gymnastics club. Ultimately, if they don't want to do it or they don't have a passion for it, they're either not going to do it or not do it very well. Yeah. So this was a situation where it was like on me. Mm. And it's all, I guess as an adult, it's always been on me as well because he's completely left me to really do my own thing, you know, and I've just got on with it. I mean, back to the poker days, yeah. like we, had, well, I saw an opportunity for poker, you know, for people listening to this podcast, Natalie knows that she used to work in poker with poker stars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, my first exactly. presenting job yeah. was in poker and it was quite good because anyone watching was probably pissed. Yeah, so exactly. it didn't matter if I was terrible, exactly. which I was. And we, we spotted that poker boom and we made a lot of money yeah. out of, out of televised poker and, that was a big part of what I did f- when I first joined Matrim. Because when I left college, I went and got a job with a sponsorship company and then an events company and then a ma- uh, athlete management company. 
probably for about six years in total. And every interview that I went, it's just so funny. Like they'd go in. My first one was a BDS sponsorship guy called Richard Busby. I sat down. He went, Eddie, um, I see um, Hearn. Are you any relation to Barry Hearn? Right. So I went. It's my dad. He went. With all due respect, what are you doing here? <laughs> like that. And I just said, I just didn't want to. Go. Like he worked. His office was in Romford. Like I went to college in Romford. I wanted to be in London. I wanted to be in the West End. I wanted to just enjoy that kind of. And I never wanted to work for him straight off the bat. Because I'd be doing all the things that people just expected me to do. Um, so, yeah, it took me about six years before I moved over to Matrim. And then I did the golf and then the poker and then moved to boxing. And why boxing? It's just something that I've been incredibly passionate about since growing up. Went to my first fight at, I think, eight years old, which was Frank Bruno against Joe Bugner. That was like my dad's first ever fight at White Hart Lane. Um, it is, for me, the most thrilling um, you know, there's so much narrative in the sport. The individuals in the sport are incredible. Just the dedication, um, the sacrifice, mm. the thrill, you know, everything about the fight game, in and out of the ring, mm. is so challenging, rewarding, addictive, the best word, mm. addictive, because mm. outside of the ring, it is it is a shitty business. And it's not easy, but it's so addictive. And I've got that winning mentality where I want my fighters to win, but also I want us to win in the game of boxing. And that's you've got to be careful with that because it become, it can become obsessive mm-hmm. and so addictive that you forget about other things in your life. Because I could literally, every day of my life, travel somewhere to do something, to see someone, to make something happen. But you also got to remember, I have a family, you know, um, you also have your health. But... I'm that driven and that addicted to it that I would have no problem doing that. Like, you could, I could live in a hotel, 365 days a year, just going from meeting to meeting to show to show. That's how sort of driven I am for for the business and the sport. And, and as you touched on there, it, it can be a bit of a murky world. Mm. I mean, you know far better than me. Have you ever been intimidated by working in it? Has there ever been any moments where you felt threatened? Not, no, not really. I mean, you've got to hold your own a lot of the time. I mean, you know. You're dealing with a sport where these aren't... You know, it's not rugby, where everybody in rugby is, a, you know, most people, very well-mannered, well-respected person who is um, reasonable. It's a reasonable person, you know, honourable, reasonable. This is boxing. This is like, you know... And the, the people in the boxing business are not your standard, you know, public school, private school... Uh, well, you know, well-educated, sort of honourable. They, they, you know, there's some, like you said, it is a murky world. So, mm-hmm. but um, you, you got, you know, you got to hold your own. And I've seen my dad do it, you know, in the flesh, growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that, you know, and something you're prepared to fight for. If you're very passionate about something, it doesn't really matter about the environment you're in. You're going to stand up and be counted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is the sort of perception of oh, boxing, you know. Shady, banging the judges, gangsters, you know, not not at all. Not, I not, do think know. that's changed though, and actually I want to talk to you about that cultural shift yeah. because it seems that the stars were aligned in terms of when you came into the sport, there was a revolution, and I'm sure some of that was down to you, certainly in this country, down to the twenty twelve Olympics, yeah. down to AJ and Sky and Matchroom's mm. deal together. There was just this revolution and it also seemed 
certainly from the outside looking in, as if there's a cultural shift in terms of white collar fight boxing yeah. matches. It was suddenly cool to box. Yeah, that, it suddenly that, wasn't shady. It was, it was a, a decent yeah. sort of well, pastime. It, it was cool to be at the events yeah. and it was cool to box. The two reasons for that is one is Matchroom and Sky. That's the call to be at the events. And the call to box is predominantly Anthony Joshua. Because what Anthony Joshua did was all of a sudden create an ambassador and a role model within the sport, which drives the grassroots participation levels and young kids. Like, if you go into a school now and you say, tell me a sporting hero, I don't know, 20 or 30% would say Anthony Joshua, right? There has never been a fighter where you could go into a school and one kid would say a boxer. Never. It's just, there's, you know, they're never going never gonna to get a kid saying Chris Eubank or Nigel Benn or Nazim Hamid or Mike Tyson. Like, so now you've got a guy where all the younger generation want to be like, the women love him. It doesn't matter how old they are. They could be kids. They could be grandparents. The young men love him. You know, the middle-aged men think he's great. The young kids, male kids, mm. think he's a hero. So he, he appeals to such a wide demographic that all of a sudden, boxing is cool. You've got this Adonis, good-looking guy with a wonderful smile mm. who is world champion. He completely and an changed. amazing backstory. Exactly. He's and already he, a success yeah. before he's exactly. started and fighting. Exactly, completely changes the focus of the sport. Mm. What we did was... We made the events cool to go to. We made boxing sexy again so that we took it out of the leisure centres and, you know, geezer going down there with all his sovereign rings and, you know, 10 pints and, like, a pair of jeans and a, a T-shirt to, no, no, we're in the O2. You better come dressed up. There's going to be music. There's going to be great fights. There's going to be atmosphere. And now, when you go to a big show, everyone's dressed up. More women going than ever. Mm. And it's, it's the cool ticket to have. And that's what you have to do for a sport. Same with darts. Mm. You know, when darts used to be down in Circus Tavern, it was the same culture and mentality that I just said about the leisure centres boxing. Now you go to the Ali Pali, it's like the corporate tables sell out quicker than anything. They're all the investment banks, you know, trading floors, currency exchange companies. It's because it's become a hot ticket. Mm. So that's what we've done to make that happen. The boxers, and AJ particularly, mm. like the participation levels of sport now, of the sport. And again, you look at clubs like BXR, right? You go down BXR, which is an amazing facility uh, and a, a member's boxing club, and it's like the wealth in there is through the roof. And these are all people who all of a sudden think that it's bloody cool to get a pair of gloves on and hit some pads, you know? But that's because, like I said, boxing has become cool and, and acceptable. And AJ's helped do that because... Like I said, the parents now have no problem with Joshua being a role model. Like, if, if I had a son and he went, I want to be like Anthony Joshua, I'd be happy about that, you know? But if he said to me, I want to be like Mike Tyson or like something like that, I'd go, all right, son, steady, you know? But you need those kind of role models in sport to, to grow it, and he's been a massive part of the success. Can you sustain that momentum then? Because there seems to be a lot of pressure on Anthony Joshua. It's just one guy. Yeah, I don't think there'll ever be another one like him. I mean, you know, he's gone from winning gold in London, which was a big help, you know, in 2012, to winning a world title, to filling Wembley twice, to filling the Millennium Stadium twice. Like, that's so unheard of mm. in, in boxing. Um, 
So I don't think there'll necessarily be another one like him. It's just the job of this sort of revolution that you talked about, of these increased participation levels, to find the next one and to find the next one after that and the next star. That's how a, a sport continues. There's more people taking part in boxing at that grassroots level. I'm not talking about you know, a 40-year-old going down a private club. I'm talking about kids taking up the sport. And that means you'll have better fighters coming through, better amateurs. Our GB system is probably one of the best in the world. The amateurs that are coming through right now are basically the best in the world. Um, like every sport, you have peaks and troughs. You know, I mean, you may have no world champions for a few years and then you may have eight the year after. But whilst he's in this at this level, boxing all around the world, I think we're in a good place. And it's presumably your job, therefore, to keep him at this level, which means delivering the big fights, the fights that everyone wants to see. Mm-hmm. So the question that you get asked all the time, mm-hmm. when is he going to fight Wilder? How are you going to make that happen? Um, I think we're going to get there by it just becoming so big that um, it can't be ignored. You know, I think that in boxing, one thing that fans hate is the politics side. Mm-hmm. So like in that instance, you've got Wilder and his promoters and advisors, and you've got Joshua and me and Matram. They don't like me or us, and we don't really like them. So straight away, it's, you know, you're at a disadvantage. If we had a good relationship, if we were doing loads of business together, it'd be quite straightforward. I think more than that, they also, this is another part of the politics that the fans hate, they're with another broadcaster, right? And we're with another broadcaster. So the job of me is to try and put the best fights on for my broadcaster, And the job for them is to do the same. So they don't really want Wilder to box on our side. We don't really want Joshua to box on their side. And also, they don't really want Joshua, uh, sorry, Wilder to lose. I don't really want Joshua to lose. But trust me, I'm up for the gamble because I believe he wins and I want to see the fight. Mm. But if they lose their world heavyweight champion, it massively affects their business. And that's everything wrong with the sport Mm. because really it's about opportunities for the athletes and for the fighters if both guys want it and I believe they do both want it then we've got to find a a way to make it happen Mm. the fight is twice as big now as it was six months ago and in six months time it will probably be twice as big as it is now but it's hard to explain that to a fan because they don't care they want they it want now. It. They want yeah. to see it now. And we've got to be careful that yeah. we don't see it because it will affect the sport. Mm. Now, if we make this fight, it's the biggest fight in world boxing. It's the undisputed heavyweight world championship. It's so good for the sport. Mm. We can't afford for it not to happen. And Joshua wants to be undisputed heavyweight world champion. And it's a dangerous fight. It's a great fight. They can do it twice. You know, they might end up doing it three times. Who knows? But I do think it will happen. And I do think it will happen at the end of the year. Um, they're both fighting. Wilder's fighting in May. Joshua's fighting June 1 at Madison Square Garden, which is his first US fight, which is an amazing achievement. It's going to sell out the garden there, which is a great arena. And that's going to be on DAZN. That's it's on Sky Sports Sky... box office, DAZN. Yeah. So DAZN is our US broadcaster, yeah. Sky is our UK broadcaster. Yeah. And you know, at the moment, there is a huge amount of injection of cash into US boxing. Mm-hmm. So you are seeing quite a lot of fighters go to America at the moment to box. It's not unusual, but it's, there are definitely more opportunities right now for fighters to earn money in America, it will change. It will swing back round again. But of course, when you're dealing with a fighter, although 
the public perception is, oh, Eddie Hearn tells the fighters who to fight, where to fight, how much they're getting. Rubbish. The fighter will come to me with an advisor or a trainer or a manager and say, right, I want this amount of money mm-hmm. and I want to box in America. You know, and, and then you make it happen. So um, it's interesting, the, the shift in power a little bit of, because UK was like on fire. Mm. And now, probably for this six-month, 12-month period, you are going to see fighters, and Joshua is one of them, having his first fight in the US, getting some exposure, obviously making a lot of money. But he knows where his home is, which is in the UK, because the events that we put on here, like there's going to be 20,000 in Madison Square Garden to sell out. Over half will be British who are flying out there. You know? Well, that's nothing compared the ones... to the O2 or Wembley, no, is it? No, but they'll, they'll be the ones creating the atmosphere. Yeah. So, but it is important in his position as a world champion to box in America. Yeah. You know, it, it, there, is, there is a whole world out there. And well, we can't was that always the end goal for you? To, to, Eventually. To, yeah. It's definitely come sooner than we expected. I didn't want to milk the UK as well. Like, we've done, like I said, Cardiff twice, Wembley twice. Mm. And because we couldn't get Wilder, I didn't want to come back to Wembley with a Miller fight and sort of to get you to go into your pockets again. Well, I don't want people to start thinking, oh, he's just doing this every time. Mm. So we're just sort of breaking it up a little bit, letting him get some visibility in the US, almost letting the UK fans have a little bit of a breather, mm. you know? We and don't then, want a breather. I know, I know, <laughs> but I just think it's important. They've got to be special events. They've yeah, got to be yeah. big no, events. And I think, you know, we're under pressure now after this fight. Like, it's got to be Wilder, or even worse way, Fury. Like it's got to be one of those two. Yeah. Um, and he wants it. You know, he wants to be challenged. And he's always been challenged as an amateur and as a pro. Like people still forget he's only had 22 fights, which, you know, when you, like, if you don't really follow boxing, Wilder's had 42, right? So it's, and who Joshua has beaten at the stage of his career is at is quite remarkable. Mm. Um, but again, fans don't really care about that either. They're just like, just give it to us. We don't care about how fast it is. just to see it. Yeah, of course, but that's their job. That's yeah. their job, any fan. It doesn't matter whether it's football or Formula One. You know, they want to see the best yeah. against the best. And also, I guess we can, um, we can look at an F1 calendar of football season and, and know when we're going to get yeah. our, our yeah. dose of... Yeah, um, yeah the big games. You mm. see the best competitors in the world take each other on mm. you just don't know in boxing no you don't and, you and, and then dates change like they yeah. have even with Miller and, yeah. um, just back to the impasse with the, with the broadcasters how do you solve that uh, could you not I mean this might be way too simplistic can you not do a simulcast you can but obviously different models so with zone, it's a subscription service uh, a, a monthly subscription and with Showtime it's a completely different one so mm. Is there an opportunity? And but when Showtime do a pay per view, it's ninety dollars, right? And but DAZN don't do pay per view, so what you can't do is you can't run it at the same time with Showtime doing a pay per view, and DAZN's like a fifth of the price mm. because Showtime are going to go. Well, no, we can't do that because everyone's going to watch it on DAZN. And so we have done Klitschko against Joshua. We did on HBO and Showtime, which at the time was like unheard of outside of Mayweather Pacquiao. Um, there are ways around it, but I think it really comes down to, again, the team wanting the fight on their side. Um, Joshua you is, don't think Wilder's team want it enough I think because Wilder there's too much at stake? It. Yeah, I think Wilder wants it, but the team don't because the heavyweight world champion is so important to them. To be honest, like my relationship with Joshua, he is my boss, right? That's how I see it. 
I don't tell him who he's going to fight. I don't convince him to fight these or not fight these people. If he wants something, mm. I have to deliver it. So and who he does wants he ask Wilder. them for that advice? So he, well, he asked me for advice. Yeah. He asked his trainer for advice, his management team. But ultimately, he says to me, I want Wilder. Right? So I have to go and deliver that. If I can't deliver it, mm. you know, sometimes it's not my fault and he knows that. But that's what he wants. Even if I didn't want him to fight Wilder and like the perception might be, oh, Eddie's milking AJ. He doesn't want him to lose. Of course I don't want him to lose. Mm. But I want the fight because I want the thrill. But even if I didn't want the fight, there's nothing I can do about it because he wants the fight and he's my boss. So I've got no choice. So don't worry about from our side us not wanting the fight because AJ wants the fight and he calls the shots. Wilder, I don't think, calls the shots. I think he's more driven by the PBC, which is sort of his promotional arm that he's under. And if they lose the world heavyweight champion it would be horrendous for them. Because you but see, they, if Joshua, as you say, you, they, they, they could have a, a rematch. They could, but if Joshua wins and becomes undisputed champion, he is the most powerful, I mean, he's already yeah. virtually the most powerful guy in the sport, but he just becomes head and shoulders the most powerful guy in the sport. But that's and not he a reason be, not to have the no, fight. No, but he won't be with them. That's yeah. the sad thing about so boxing. Comes after it does, yeah, it does. Because they don't want to give him that opportunity. Okay, the, the broadcasting um, sort of deadlock aside, the, um, how do you negotiate a traditional fight in terms of the purse? Can you just explain to us what the purse is? And- yeah, so you would, I mean, there are all kinds of different packages. So like on the mega fights, you would agree generally either a purse or a split. So what you would say is, right, we're going to put all the money in the pot, all the revenue, pay-per-view money, international TV, sponsorship, gate, we'd agree the cost of the show, Whatever the profit of the show is, it's split, whatever's agreed. 50-50, 60-40, if there's a bigger name in the fight, etc. If it's a purse, we would reach out to the team and say, right, we're going to give you $10 million for the fight. That's just the first bit. You know, then it's everything down from what, what networks it going to be on, you know, who's sponsoring it, if it's conflicted, how many tickets do I get, how many airfares do I get, how many hotel rooms do I get? And I want four suites and one with a butler and red carpet as I walk. You know, I mean, I want the home changing room. I want to walk first in the fight, or generally I want to walk second. I want that corner. I want to be introduced first at the press conference. I, want, I mean, like that, that's as detailed as it could. I want drug testing from, you know, 16 weeks. You know, I want, you've got to pay for the governing body sanction fees. I mean, it's, it's never-ending. It is, but look, some fights are a lot easier to make than others. And at the smaller level, it is comes down to, there's £50,000 for this fight. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. And then, like, you know, you sort out the rest from there. At the higher level, it becomes more and more complicated, especially when there's a relationship, like, between us and Wilder's team, who don't, like... I, I, I'm learning in America that it's a lot easier to get under people's skin than it is in England. Well, you've only just realised that. Yeah. Come on. I know. Well, <laughs> I lived over there for a while. Like, we just, I just think we, like, it's a cliche, but we do, we are very self-deprecating. Yeah. And, and I think they're much more sensitive yeah. as a general rule. Yeah, I know they you are. can't sweep generalisation. at the same time, one thing I've noticed about business out there is, is, two-faced is the wrong word, but like in Britain, if I fall out with someone... We fall out mm. and it's over. Mm. Like we don't, we ain't working together. You know, if I see you, I ain't going to talk to you. 
right? If I'm talking about you in the media or vice versa, I don't expect it to be pleasant. But at least we know where we stand. Over there, you know, I've been in situations where pe people have literally been hugging me and then 10 minutes later I've found out they've been on the phone trying to break a deal that I've just been talking to them about, you know? But it's like I said, I did an interview this morning, it's almost like, you know, you might have put on like two stone and you look terrible and it's like, Eddie, wow, you look amazing. Have you lost weight? Have you been working out? You know, that's what it's like over there, isn't it? And then they walk off and they think, fat lad. You know, I know. So, but it's, so it's, like, and I have upset people in America quite quickly over there because the way that I am, I went into the market there and went, right, I'm going to absolutely tear this up. I'm going to dominate this boxing game. I'm going to put you out of business, you out of business, your shit. I'm, you know, and literally, like... Got people's backs Yeah, up. very quickly. And almost to the point where people have actually said to me, like, Eddie, you know, this, this ain't going to help you in doing what you're trying to do. Was your but dad one of those? No, he wasn't. He wants me to keep doing it because <laughs> he's, like, sitting back from the distance going, go on, son. But I'm not going to change because what, how... You know, that approach... And that accessibility to the media outlets has got us. And we were talking earlier about social media, like, and how you get stick and how you turn your back. Like, you can't just use social media to get to where you've got. And it's been so important to the development of your business. And then go, like, I'm coming off social media because actually people are really annoying me. And that's the same with all the interviews. Like, if I'm doing a workout or a waiting, I'll do 30 or 40 interviews. And it's from ranges from Sky and Zone and BBC to Dave's boxing podcast that might have like 200 viewers. But that's what, I'm a promoter. But I've got a big mouth. So when you do 40 interviews, you're going to say something that's going to upset someone at some point. So I don't want to change. Like I, I want to be that, like there's a thing in the UK where I get booed all the time, right? Which partly, be, yeah, partly because that. I'm unpopular, but partly because it's like the thing now. So I'm like the bad guy that charges you the money, it's not delivering Joshua Wilder, you know, you're taking over the sport, boom, I'm the Vince McMahon of boxing, you know what I mean? So, but I want to, I've got to sort of play up to that, because that, that's okay, that works, you know? Does it affect you on any level? No. Come it's on. Not, it doesn't, I mean, I don't go home and go, I can't believe they booed me, don't get me wrong, I'd much rather they cheered me, yeah. but if you're not really getting booed or cheered, you ain't really having an effect. Yeah. Unfortunately, that it does upset my mum because she goes, "Why do they, son? You work so hard. Like, why do they boo you?" I go, "Don't worry, mum." But my dad's been getting booed for years. When my dad presents a darts award, he goes at the presentation party. You know, chairman of the PDC, Barry Home, boo! It's like, wow, he's just put on this event <laughs> that you've absolutely loved, and he's changed the game. But you booed him, so I'm kind of like, I think if I hadn't have seen that, then yeah. it would. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Be that kind of conditioned you, yeah, did, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, the, the thing is, I do understand that there's a huge amount of pantomime in boxing, mm. and this is all part of it. Mm. And they do like to have heroes and villains, mm. and, and it, you know, you make quite a good villain. Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, come on. Equally, I think that... Because one of the things that's always thrown at you is Silver Spoon Eddie. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's just so easy, but that's the sort of weird, jealous mentality yeah, but I, that... But I bounce off that, like... Yeah. I'll kill myself that. My dad will call me that in the interviews. Like, and I've said, like, ages ago, I said the line where I said, I turned it gold. And people were like, well, wanker, wanker. You know? <laughs> but you've just got to play along with it. Like, you're never yeah. going to change yeah. people's perception or, or some people's attitudes. But do you want to? Is there any part of you that no, wants to? Surely you'd only be human, really? It, honestly, like, I think being a parent mm. and about to hit 40, mm. and like, I think, I do think, like, 10 years ago, I probably would have taken it differently. I think it would have had more of an effect on me. But like you just become more comfortable, don't you, in your own skin. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, whether you're working in boxing or whether it's your I know your appearance or you just you just you don't care anymore, do you? So no, not, I d- not in that respect, but like I'm I definitely sure, think the older you get and yeah, like now, you're a parent, you I mean, do. I knew care you ten more. years ago, yeah. you were you know, you were a lot different, you know. Really? No, not really. So. <laughs> but you know, but you you care less about things that you would have yeah. cared more about then. And yeah. that's just the development of life. Yeah. And I think I've got too much on my plate to yeah. worry about if someone thinks yeah. that I'm silver spoon or yeah. someone wants to boo me or like I just I'm really focused on the business and mm. what I'm doing and I'm very I have great tunnel vision in that respect so probably one of my weaknesses actually I won't almost let any outside factors affect what I'm doing and probably something I should, I'm trying to let actual certain things not the bad stuff but actually let them in to try and expand the mind a little bit because yeah. I'm very I know exactly what I want to do and I'm probably too hands on and we've gone from I don't know three staff in the boxing department to probably 50 worldwide but I still want to choose the poster you know the, the promotional poster yeah. I still want to know every tweet that's going out from our matchroom handle I still want to make every fight from a four round fight to a world championship fight and you know um Delegation is important in a big business. You've got to be able to. But you still see it as your baby. I do, and I love it. And I've just, I love to be involved in the decisions, every aspect of them. Mm. Not that I don't trust the people involved, but as we expand, you know, we've just set up Matchroom Boxing USA. We're doing 16 shows there. Matchroom Boxing Italy. We do eight shows a year there. Matchroom Boxing Spain and Germany and Canada. So I can't, it's impossible, but I'm still trying to like go to every event. And it's not, you, you know, can't it's just be in no, all those no, places no. at once. Um, and but I love it, you know, not yeah. because I want to get my face there. It's just that I love the sport and the events, particularly the development of young fighters. That's one of the most pleasing things. I mean, Joshua, I signed from his debut, 
So we took him from the debut to the Unified World Heavyweight Championship. That's why the Undisputed Championship is so important. What people have to understand away from business, that's something that it's a journey that we've shared together. Mm-hmm. That when we sat down in this room and I explained to him what we have to do to become Undisputed Champion, and we won fight away. So that's why something that might hurt me a little bit is people going, You don't want the fight. You don't. I'm like, Mate, like, if you know me, you've got to understand I love the buzz. Like, I. I live for those big moments, those big events. Not, oh, don't do that. Don't, don't create the biggest fight in the history of boxing. I mean, that, like, talk about legacies of fighters. My legacy, when I can retire one day and go, I put on the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship of the World. You know, that, that's more important than the money you might make out of that because we've, you know, we've, we've done well anyway. So it's, not, it's really not about the money. So, so what's the next phone call that has to be made? Probably... Um, I think now it's kind of been in in the hands of the broadcaster. Wilder's a free agent now. It's come out from a network perspective. So the president of the zone has had some meetings with Wilder's team. It's almost like a mediation because I don't think I can sit down with these people and what, do it. It's a got deal. that bad. Yeah, they hate that. Honestly, like why do they hate you so much? I just think you don't think that's just that's fueled by the. I, don't, I, think, I think they use that a little bit as an excuse, yeah. but I do, I do think they really dislike me. But I think it's going to take the mediation. of It may end up being the two of them talking, yeah. Joshua and Wilder, after these respective fights and yeah. just going, we've got to do this. So and how are we going to do this? You know, this is the deal. Are you happy? I mean, yeah. still, you know, they can't put the whole deal together because it's so complicated, but at least the crux of the deal can be, do you accept this? Do you accept this? Right, let's do it. But it, it takes, I think it will take someone in the middle, like a, a network, to say, okay, this is how it's all going to work, you know. But it's too big, and it, it will get bigger. Like, they turned down $40 million for the fight, and probably in November, December, it'll probably get more than that. So, you know? so what do you say to your critics who say you're greedy and you're just waiting for it I'm to get greedy. bigger and bigger? Yeah, I'm greedy, but not, you know, I don't, I don't want this fight to wait. I was happy to make this fight now. I was happy to make this fight last uh, September, more so now. You know, there was part of me during that process where the fight was coming on real fast. I knew this was a big promotion. I would have taken it then because AJ wanted it. But the time for me to make the fight was April or May of this year. We now know that's not happening. So it has to happen in November, December. You know, in terms of the critics, I just, you know, I just go back to the point of you don't, you really don't understand me if you think I don't want this fight to happen. Like, mm. if you know me in the slightest, you know that I want to be involved in the biggest events and I want to have the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Mm. Even from a, you know, from a selfish point of view, I want, him, I want to represent that guy. So, and I believe he's going to win. If I didn't think he'd win, I might, you know... I Hold might, him back until he thought he was ready? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would be less willing to make the fight because I don't want him to lose. Who's the, but, who, who will be the toughest challenge for him out of Fury and Wilder? Um, the most dangerous challenge is Wilder. The trickiest challenge is Fury because he's horrible to box because he's like seven foot nearly and he's like, he doesn't really, really want to fight you. He just wants to fiddle you and trick, you know, but he's really good at that. Yeah. He's really awkward. It's not a great fight to be in but he's, he's a very talented fighter yeah. the Wilder fight is one that you should watch through your fingers 
because anything can happen with Joshua Wilder. That's why it's the biggest fight in the world, because you've got two undefeated world heavyweight champions, both punch extremely hard, both a little bit vulnerable at times, as all heavyweights are, both are very, very fast, and both have no fear. So that's, that's the dangerous fight. The Fury fight is a tricky fight, but it's not as good a fight to watch, but it's still a huge event. It's two Brits, but the, it's not really about Wilder or Fury, it's just about that one belt, because that's all Joshua needs yeah. to be undisputed. Yeah. And in the meantime, Miller, what kind of fight can it's we expect there? You know, on many reasons. One, because everyone's talking about the Wilder fight. So in Josh's head, he is thinking a little bit about the Wilder fight, and now he's got this 24-stone guy with a big mouth from New York, the fight's happening in New York. Yeah, so he'll love yeah, exactly. being on I mean, his patch. It's a chance for this guy to become world heavyweight champion. So, But Josh, I've never met a more meticulous professional than, than Joshua. Like, even when he's not in camp, he's trying to improve himself. And that's what boxing gave him. That feeling that he wanted to become a better person. Mm. He's self-educated. You know, he studies. He reads. On his training, like, it's everything from, you know, his preparation to his physio to the massages, to like these Norma Tech legs things that he wears, you know, at night to, you know, I don't know, his blood pressure or his veins or for better resting. You know, his sleep is monitored. He's, like, he, is, he just wants to be the best. Is this something that you knew instinctively about him when you signed him? Have you found this out over a period of time? Have you been more and more impressed the longer you've worked, the best, worked the together? The best story that I can tell about Anthony Joshua is when he got into trouble and he got arrested. I got a letter, this was at about 18, I got a letter from a boxing club to say, there's this young heavyweight, would you come to court and talk about, if he was to make it, how much money or opportunities a young heavyweight in his position could have or could earn? I looked at it, I've never even heard of the guy. And I went, with all due respect, I ain't getting a call to talk about this young man. I don't even know him. So I threw the, threw the letter to the side. About two years later, I went to the GB camp, the British Boxing Amateur Camp, where Carl Frotch was training. And I heard this noise, which was basically like metal on, on a hinge. I turned around, and this big heavyweight was hitting a punch bag. And I turned to the coach and I went, who's that? And he went, that's Anthony Joshua. And all I remember seeing in my head was the letter. And I was like, I wish I would have gone, <laughs> you know. And he came out of court. He went up to the GB team. He won national titles. They put him in the world championship straight away. He won silver. He, he got robbed in the final. He should have won gold. Next tournament was the Olympics. And he won gold. And I was like, I mean, the development... They had 40 amateur fights. That includes the Olympics. Most of those guys in that Olympics had between 100 and 200 amateur fights. Like, and I met him after. And I just, like, he's such a deep thinker that when he came into this room, it was the first meeting, I said to him, do yourself a favour, go and meet everyone. Every promoter around the world you can meet, go and meet him. Because I knew he was such a deep thinker. If he didn't, make, if he didn't know 100% this was the right decision for him. He wouldn't make that decision. Anyway, I didn't hear from him for six months. For six months, and I thought, why did you say that? It's almost like he wanted to sign. You know, he came in to sign, and I said, no, no, go and see everyone. 
And he came back, he said, I've, I've been around, I've, I've met everyone, and I, I, I still want to be with Matram. I thought, thank God for that, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think the, the thing that strikes me about him is just his drive for perfection and for improvement. Improvement's a better word. Not necessarily perfection, but improvement. Just wanting to improve on everything that he does. doesn't matter whether it's his punching or his sprints or his strength or his flexibility. Like he's now taking up yoga and he's doing that like three times a week. He started to teach himself how to speak Spanish. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, when we go to America, obviously there's a very strong Hispanic community. I think if I can talk Spanish, that'd be a big hit with the, you know, I'm thinking, like, but this is when he's had like three fights, you know? Like he's deep, a deep, deep guy, ultra intelligent, but self-educated. And um, I think the Klitschko, my only worry was, and you never know with a fighter, how tough are you? Mm. Like you know they're tough, but when it gets down and hard and you've got these little 10 ounce gloves smashing you around the face and it was the Klitschko fight that showed me and I showed everybody, yeah. this guy's got heart of a line. And probably and, showed himself. Yeah, because you never know till you're in that, yeah. that situation. But that was like, I knew that if he had heart, this guy's going to go all the way. And obviously the Klitschko fight showed us that. But you're only, you've only seen 80% of Anthony Joshua. He's, he's just reaching his prime now after 22 fights. Really, it should be 24, 25 have been his prime. But he's been a revelation for boxing. And I, I mean. guess then it's, it's down to you to always keep the fights coming, to yeah. keep him going on this upward trajectory. It's, a, it's about the competitors yeah, he never, fights. I've never allowed anything to slow down his progression. Mm. And that's been really important, like time wasters, people pulling out fights. Now, when the Pulev fight fell through, I had Takam, who stepped in at 10 days' notice because I had him standing by, mm. and I just I couldn't afford for him not to fight Joshua and keep this momentum going. So yeah. we've been a great team. We signed a new contract six months ago for another two and a half years. So we hope, touch wood, that you know, from his, from his professional debut to his final fight, he will be part of, of our team and it's a great partnership. And then you've got to find the next Anthony Joshua. Yeah. But like I say, there are, the particip- with the participation levels going up yeah, yeah, and yeah. with people saying, I want to, it's like golf. Yeah. Now, how many kids are on a range saying, I want to be the next Tiger Woods? Yeah. Like what he did for golf was incredible. Yeah. And just like Michael Jordan, what he did for, you know, and then LeBron James. Every sport needs a role model. That Lewis Hamilton, mm. same thing. Mm. You know, you need a young, cool, iconic figure that the young kids go, yeah, that's what I want to be. And suddenly you see that there's so much talent out yeah, there just waiting to be and discovered. you know that you can go into local boxing clubs now and every kid, like if you went to every kid, who do you want to be the next? Anthony Joshua. Mm. Everyone would say that, you know. Um, have you made Anthony Joshua or has Anthony Joshua made you? No, it's, it's definitely a partnership. But without I mean, Anthony Joshua, would you be as successful as you are no, now? No, probably not. And vice versa. Vice versa. You know, I, I, I believe that if he didn't have us and Matrim support, he wouldn't be where he is, and certainly not as quick and as big. Mm. But if we didn't have Anthony Joshua, I don't believe our business would be as successful as it is either. So it's been a great relationship, a great partnership. Mm. No arguments, just pure truth. I class him as a good friend. You know, like we'd go out socially, you know, we have a laugh. He's a funny, funny guy. I mean, you've met, he's got a smile that just lights up the room. Mm. You could put him in any situation. Yeah, I he mean, went to my kid's school um, to do a talk when he won the Commonwealth title. So he just had like 13, 14 fights. They talk about it to this day. Yeah. He wasn't even half of the star that he is now. 
and they still talk about it now. And all, the kids still come up to me in the playground and goes, "Oh, how's Anthony Joshua? You know, I remember when he came to the school. Like the, the lasting effect he has on people is is special." Yeah. And. Very few people have that. That's so true. I mean, I saw him at a charity event. We sat on the same table for dinner and he didn't sit down once mm. to eat one single yeah. mouthful yeah. because there were so many people coming. But he gave them all the time of day. Mm. At no point did he say, do you mind just leaving me for a minute because yeah. I need to eat? It's quite, it's a bit, I, say it's, I wouldn't say it's a sad life, but I do sometimes think, yeah, this is a kid, but all he really wants to do is like, he's into like motocross and like his bikes. Really like mess around with his mates over the park or play FIFA in the, in the lounge with his mates. So, but he's such a nice guy that he can't help give time. Mm. Like I've been with him just in like a coffee shop or a Nando's, like same thing. He can't even sit down, but he's not that. No, mate, not now, not now. <laughs> You'd never see him do that. No, no, no. But it's quite, I'd say it's a sad life, but you know, I do feel a, li- feel a little bit for him because I think the things that he would like to do, the normal stuff, mm. He can't really can't do. Anymore. No, but that's a symptom of a success. Yeah, I'm sure he can't, sure can't have both. Can't have it all. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, just finally on you, um, has your success, your personal success, because it, 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 you know, I find it quite funny that you've got like seven hundred thousand yeah. followers on Twitter, and yeah. suddenly you are this recognisable yeah. face about town. It's brilliant, and it's a product of your hard work, and as you say, your dad's support as well. Has your success surprised you? Do you think that you've been lucky? Do you think it's been hard work or a combination of the two? Um, I, I would say, like, I am... If you did, like, a psychoanalysis on me, I am probably the most simple guy. Like, in terms of... I don't... I never complicate things. I never overthink things. Literally, I just go to work... You put me, I'm like autopilot, right? So it's like, Eddie, today, like tomorrow, for example, you are going to Liverpool. You have a press conference. Okay. So I get in the car, go up to Liverpool, get out, sit at a table. I don't have notes because I just don't believe in that. Everything's spoken from the heart and from the mind. Our press conference, 30 interviews, back in the car. Right, now you are going for a dinner meeting in London. Off we go, on the phone, on the phone, get there. So I, I think it's probably, I don't have the time to overthink things. Mm. But like, I, I often joke and say about living in hotels, like, stick me anywhere. I don't care. Anywhere that I can get my nut down, get a little bit of sleep, you know, no problem. Just stick me on. So, so like, when I say has it, I am also my biggest critic that you'll ever see. Not self-critic, but critic of my product, which is my shows. I never feel satisfied with an event that I do, which is a bit sad, really. Like, mm. But I think a lot of it is down to social media because you, 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 you read so much negativity, but that's probably a good thing for fans because when there's an amazing show, I go, yeah, it's a good show. Like, you'll never see me go, oh, mate, that was the bollocks. Like, we've cracked mm. it. Like, we are flying. Be like, hmm. You know, so, so, right, so you will listen to the critics to the extent that you want to perfect your product. Yeah, I, I know. You know, I, I I see the criticism, and I said, but it's more like not necessarily how they're feeling, but how I'm feeling, and I know what's good and what's bad. Mm. But I'm just super critical, super critical. Like, and even for everything we've achieved in boxing. It's probably a little bit sad, but I don't really feel like we've done a lot yet, mm. you know? Which is good in some aspects, but bad in others, where 
I'm probably not getting the chance to sit back and say, wow. So is that enough to keep you awake at night? Do you think about Uh, how you can improve the product? That doesn't keep me awake. I mean, I don't sleep great anyway, but it's more sort of jet lag. It's more, you know, I mean, that thing there, which is the bane of my life. He's pointing to his mobile phone. Yeah. Like, you don't realise how much you're on it. And at night, I'll always be sleeping on the pillow and, and I'll wake up in the night and I'll just check it and there'll be a couple of emails and then it might be an hour before you go back to bed, which is like... You should just turn that thing you off. Can't you can't switch know? off then. No, I can't switch off. But I don't really want to. Like, that's the sickness of, yeah, of this game. Healthy, I know it? it's not. But unfortunately, it is an addiction. It's like anything. I'd rather be addicted to this than some, something else. Yeah. So, so, but that is, I am totally addicted to the business and the sport. Yeah. And not I've got... Not a bad voice to have, I suppose. No, but at the same time, you know... You've got, to, you've got to be careful. You've got to try and keep yourself as fit as you can. Mm. You've got to try and lead a healthy lifestyle. More importantly, you've got to try and spend time with your kids. That's the, probably the hardest challenge is, mm. you know, you, you might fly back from a show and you are just like, with all due respect, like the last thing you really want to do is like go to the trampolining park. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever it's called, base jump, right, in Rayleigh. But they're like, Dad, when you get back, we're going straight to base jump. It's like, Okay, and then you get back and you drive down there and you get off. And of course, you've got to go on. You know what I mean? You can't just sit in the bar and have oh, a coffee. No, 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 so no. I've got the socks on, you know, <laughs> and I'm in socks. there and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? But that's like, that's just, that really comes from my dad. Like, that's the responsibility you have. Like, even if my missus said to me, no, 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 your dad's too tired. You know, sit down. like, we don't live in that world anyway, anymore. Like, often I laugh about my dad because that old school mentality, you know, Every morning, my mum will make sure that my dad has a shirt hung up and ironed, ready for him the next day. You know what I mean? And like, but that's, it's not unusual. Like, because he says to me, hey, he phone me out, he says, where are you? I go, I'm in Waitrose. He goes, what are you doing there? Like, literally, like, not, I'm, I'm getting some food. What? He can't, he can't understand it. And only now, he started just doing a few dishes, because on New Year's Eve, we had this night where everyone has to cook one dish. So he started cooking. but it, And now, just a few Saturdays now, he said to my mum, like, I'm going to cook. Ooh. right? Which is a major improvement for him. But it does make me laugh, the, 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 the difference between that old school East End yeah, mentality, yeah, yeah. which is literally like, you know, you know where's my shirt? Well, but how does he cope with female boxers? Because there's obviously just it's, been incredible yeah, rise and rise of them. I think he finds it difficult to get his head round. Does he? But he enjoys the entertainment. Like, it's good to watch. Like, Katie Taylor is be- like better than 99% of men to watch. But I do think that old school mentality, I don't even think it's necessarily a sexist mentality. It's just like, women don't do that. And it's not boxing. Men don't, men don't cook. Men don't wash up. Men don't iron. That is, he, like, and that is, as far as it's, that's gospel truth, you know? I say, yeah, but dad, things change. No, ain't changed, son. That's how it is. But it's, it, you know, I, I, I love something. If he wasn't so likeable, it would get me angry. Yeah, but I know, He's I know. just such a nice bloke, you can't really, but he's, you just But at least laugh. you know with him, he'd be 100% honest. Yeah. Like, and it's, uh, you know. But you, but you have daughters, so it's. Yeah, uh, I know. So it's I interesting to see. Yeah, what, what do you want them to do with their lives? Just be happy. And, but um, I said in the interview that we did earlier, not with you, but with the other one, it's more about the three things that I'm really bothered about. Can just, I just say, for the listeners' sake, yeah. you very kindly of supporting 
my charity, Hope and Homes for Children, and talking about the value of family. Because what we try to do is get kids out of institutions and orphanages and back into families, because that is where children really blossom. Over to you. Yes. So the three things really are respect, manners, and passion and, and drive. Yeah. So all I want is my kids to have those things. So education, yeah, of course, important. But like you may not be the cleverest. You know, sport, I really want you to play every sport. And I don't, I don't have a son. So, you know, it's more like, can I find something that my daughter might excel at? you'd want your son to do the same thing but more I try and teach them looking in people's eyes mm. you know opening the door for older people probably all the things that I didn't do as a kid or, or my dad would have tried to do but those things are, are much more important mm. to me so I want them to be happy and have a passion for something so you know I said in, in the, the charity stuff we were talking about earlier like the saddest thing in the world is to have nothing to wake up for like no passion and that passion could be anything that passion could be looking after your husband and your kids if you're talking about the old school era the passion might be working for a charity playing sport running your own business um, getting fit like anything but some people wake up with no passion for anything so really for the kids it's more about doing something you enjoy and having a purpose in life rather than see so many kids these days are sort of moping around and it's sad, you know? Like, I don't want to turn them into kids where I'm like, take them gymnastics, go, run, three times a week, you do it. But you've got to just find something. And it's amazing to see kids that have a passion for something, whether it's you know, young kids playing football, whether it's people making things, you know, train sets, I don't know, it could be anything, but actually see something that kids enjoy. So um, that's what I want for them. They have to grow up, I see all the same things like when we go shopping all the things that I used to see growing up like that's that's Barry Hearn over there like and people they're not shy to sort of point in your face and go that's that Eddie Hearn promoter that's him look look to his mate that's him there look it's like alright mate okay and like, can we have a photo it's like well, I'm actually with my kids but like, I'd never say no you know what I mean but so that you, you sometimes think what are they seeing like what must they be thinking Dad, why are these people? And we talk about it all, all the time and have a laugh at them. But at school as well, you know, you, you don't think about people's, oh, your dad's, you know, because that's what I got at school. It didn't bother me, but you were always that mm. Barry Hearn's son. And now they are Eddie Hearn's daughters. And are so, you, is Barry ever going to be Eddie Hearn's dad? No, I think he's there. Oh. We, 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 laugh, we laugh about it all the time. But he always says, you know, I used to be, Barry Hearn's, I used to be, uh, used to be Barry Hearn's son. Now I'm Eddie Hearn's dad. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's all good fun, and we're so competitive. Yeah. Like, and he's the most competitive man in the world. And like I said, his drive, his energy, is just well. Like, you insane. have certainly inherited it all. Mm. And talking about passion, you clearly have it by the bucket load. Mm. It makes you jump out of bed every morning. So thank Not you. Not as high as him, <laughs> but but yeah, it's important. He's and, and, high. You know, I think you have. I mean, you have your passion for presenting and events and. Formula One, obviously, you, but you've got to throw yourself into something. Mm. doesn't matter whether you're in a nine-to-five job. Like If you're in a nine-to-five job and you don't like it and you have no passion for it, how well are you going to do it? Yeah. You're never going to get promoted or get anywhere within the business. So you're better off doing something that does get you up in the morning and, more importantly, makes you happy. Because if you don't have the happiness, there's no point in even living. It's a short life. Enjoy it.
What a lovely note to end on. Thanks, Eddie. All right. Thanks for your company. Thanks for your time. Thank that you. was great. So come on then, what did you think? Eddie Hearn, as you've never heard him before. Is that what you expected? Do you secretly like him a little bit more now? I mean, I love him. I think he's brilliant. Um, I loved his honesty. He's got a little twinkle in his eye and a kindness in his heart. And, you know, he's up there mixing it with the big boys in boxing and it's impressive stuff because he's a huge success and he's part of a revolution in the sport which has made us all very proud, I think. British boxing has never been better. So thank you, Eddie. Thank you for your time. And come on, make that wilder fight happen. Okay, let me know what you think of the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Let me know which other guests you'd like to have on. Um, It's been lovely to have your company. Thanks so much. We'll see you very soon on In The Pink. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.